Chris Green, welcome to episode 35 of the Being There Done That podcast. How you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and uh, this Sunday. Have you had your morning coffee yet and gone your little walk over in Sydney? <laughs> no, I, um, I've gone as far as taking the dog out for a, a toilet and um, <laughs> I, I had a sleep in. I haven't had a sleep in for a while, so got me pretty much crawling out of bed to be honest oh nice well over here in the west it's bright and early and uh lucky the sun's up so you got me good good time it's nice to get up early on a sunday because then there's more time to do all the housework after so it's lovely (laughs) yeah exactly that's the way um so you were talking just before that you getting back into training how's everything been going you uh pull up any injuries have you had to recover from the big bash uh, touch wood, um, no injuries. Um, you know, I, I sort of had a week to two weeks, um, pretty slow going, um, after the big bash finished, um, just cause, uh, it actually ended up being quite a, quite a tough period at the back end, um, in bubbles. I had to then isolate towards the back end of the tournament, um, because my, I was a close contact cause my partner got COVID. Um, so it became quite a bit of a, a mental stress. I actually needed a little bit of a break. And, um, yeah, the last two weeks, jumped back into training full-time. Um, and, yeah, I'm playing some club cricket on weekends and, and, you know, staying ready should anything else come uh, in this period. And, um, no, loving it so far. Um, started a new uh, training program as well, which is always fun. So no injuries, but just a bit sore. Oh, nice. <laughs> the body getting back used to, the, I guess, the weights and doing a bit more extra work. Not just cricket, eh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And more more running as well, which is, oh, is always tough. Yuck. Well, I have been, um, <laughs> I've been doing a bit of more running than what I've been doing over, well, previous, I guess, three months. Over the last three months, I've lifted up my running just because doing all my because I do a bit of fight training as well. So just got to make sure that I stay on top of conditioning and because I'm a bit bit bigger guy. Well I'm, a, well, I'm a small guy for my weight division. Let's just say that. So if I could get, if I'm a bit more conditioned, a bit fitter, then I'll go a bit yeah. more of an edge in that, in that weight category. So, um, yeah. So let's go back to the beginning with you. You were not originally living over Australia. You came over when you were seven years old. Who'd you come over from? Yeah. Um, I was born and raised in South Africa, um, in Durban. Um, so yeah, 2001, we came across, uh, made the big leap. Um, my mum and dad and my brother, um, all came, well, like we made, or mum and dad rather, I was gonna say we all made the decision, <laughs> made the decision. Um, we were living in Durban and, um, for dad's work, we was going to have to move to, to Joburg and, um, you know, they weren't overly keen on, on raising my brother and I in Joburg based on opportunity, safety, a, a number of reasons. And um, both of them were professional tennis players that never got to um, Australia, unfortunately. Dad couldn't get a visa and mum was meant to come to the Aussie Open but got injured. Um, so they wow. came out here on a holiday to, um, you know, I guess think about their decision and um, enjoy and see Australia on the recommendation from my grandparents. And um they got brought to Sydney, uh, they landed in Sydney, brought to Manly day one and and fell in love with it. And, um, you know, here I am, oh, 23 years later or 22 years later from that holiday they had and I find myself living in Manly. So it's um, been a pretty special journey and I'm grateful for, um, you know, the huge sacrifice they made because, you know, we, we have no family over here. Um, it was just the four of us. Mum's side's all in the UK, dad's side's all in South Africa. So, 
um, both places are pretty far away yeah. from our isolated, beautiful country we live in. Yeah, I can imagine that um, even back in back in your parents' day, there was no YouTube to look up and to see how to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was still the pay phones and everything. So, yeah, I think the internet was just slowly crawling through. Mm. It's interesting, you know, I, when I talk to people who who parents are – You've had parents who are like professional tennis players or professional sports players like like yours are. Did they, when you were younger, kind of introduce you to sport and did they kind of, you know, instill like a, a mindset that, I don't know, that kind of breeds or kind of comes comes through now that you're playing a professional in a professional setting? Um, I think look, both of them were, you know, highly active. I, I pretty much learned to walk on a tennis court because mm-hmm. – that's what they were doing. Mum was coaching tennis. Um, dad was working, but they were still playing, um, you know, at a high level, at as high level as they could um, just because it's that competitive side that never dies um, in you. And, and for them, it was a great way to, you know, have fun and keep fit. So um, dad was always, you know, playing tennis, touch rugby. Mum was always on a tennis court and both of them, you know, going to gym, um, so my brother and I would either go to the crash or be watching them play um, play tennis. So I think seeing that active environment, being involved and wanting to be involved, you know, sitting on the sidelines is never fun anyway as a kid. So you want to always look to be involved and, and that sort of bred my love for playing sport and, and wanting to be highly active because it was what my what I was seeing all my upbringing. My mum and dad were doing it in front of me and it was a natural progression and then you know, you fast forward to to actually playing sport. It was, I think I, I just get that competitive side from them, um, you know, wanting to win, uh, wanting to be the best. Um, and that, that sort of came all the way through my sport and education life as well, just being highly competitive and, <laughs> and um, a pest to all my friends probably. Yeah. So in saying that, so you obviously when you moved over here, you picked up all the sports you played. Did you, did you try Aussie rules or? What was that kind of like? I did. I did try Aussie rules. Um, you know, I, I'm quite. I was quite a tall, lean, softy during school. I call myself. <laughs> so I played soccer, tennis, and cricket. And then um, year six, it was at school. They um, allowed us to do uh, like an AFL. They just grabbed people from PE that were, I guess, you know, good in class or whatever to play AFL for the school. And um, I found myself marking a, a girl who was a lot bigger than me um, and I had to tackle her and I tackled her, but I felt like I came off second best. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's, that's enough. That's enough for me. Um, and I loved the game, but then, yeah, the physicality of it um, wasn't in my bone structure as a youngster, mm. but, um, you know, watching it now and seeing the fitness side of it, um, particularly, you know, when I was on contract, at New South Wales and we would used to train at the SCG. We're now out, out west in Homebush, but we'd oh, yeah. watch the Swans do a running session and we'd sort of um, go over there a bit embarrassed to do hours that we thought was hard and they'd probably do our session as a warm-up. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so I work over here in, in Perth um, with the waffle side. So I don't know what that is. They call it the Neeful yeah. over the, in the Eastern States. So I work with a, a state club here and just with – all the conditioning and that sort of stuff. Sometimes when I'm writing it out, I'm God, thank God, I'm not doing this. And even, <laughs> and even sometimes the kind of the accumulation of all the training, the playing in the years that kind of adds, adds onto the injuries, I guess, mount so much that when you post, post AFL career, it's actually quite tough to kind of walk around because your ankles are all sore, your knees yeah. are sore. So 
It's quite tough. That's crazy. Yeah, one of the we 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 got chatting to them the Swans a couple of times and um, heard about their sessions. They used to do like a hundred hundreds on the minute, um, and then the other one was uh, during the height of preseason when they're all sort of I guess fighting fit. Is they wouldn't tell them exactly what they're doing, and if anyone asks how many more reps or how much yeah. longer we got to go, no matter where they are, they start again. So. <laughs> You know, they could be going out to do three runs or a thousand of them, but because they're so fit, they can condition themselves yeah. and cruise through a few. And so they wouldn't tell them how many they're doing to make them go hard, which is uh, an interesting one. That's, um, I actually was reading an article um, probably a, couple, a while, well, maybe a couple months ago. Um, over the, before the last Christmas training day they had at Gold Coast, it was, they did, they grouped up. So I think it was uh, groups of five. They had to do individual, so each one had to do four hundred meter run on every two minutes or something. It was something like that. But they had to accumulate four forty-two kilometers, so a marathon. So in that group, they had to run forty-two k's or, or a marathon, a marathon length of four hundred meter runs. <laughs> I think it's how they said they took them almost two and a half hours to do. That's so outrageous. <laughs> oh god. Good. It's not something you want to do, do you? Nah, no, that's why I'm glad I'm playing cricket. You did, or you'd almost hope that when you <clears> get to train, like, I don't think you even want to know you're doing that. So you much rather just yeah. roll up to training and get told. Because if you have to mentally prepare for it, I don't. I think it will break you, wouldn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't sleep well the night. Before. <laughs> oh wow! So you were so you you tried all different sports growing up. When was it? It was kind of time to choose choose one of those to kind of excel or to get into um yeah soccer soccer sort of dropped off um in year eight and it was always um cricket and tennis oh it's probably cricket and tennis from year five the really those were the two sports i played tennis all year round and then cricket in the summer mm-hmm. um and tennis was probably always my favorite until maybe uh, year nine or 10 where the, I, they started becoming equal favorites. And then okay. uh, year 12, I was riding my HSC and uh, wrote my SATs to go to the uh, college in America for tennis. And oh, wow. um, you know, it was decision time, basically, what do you want to do? Um, and I couldn't decide. I hated the thought of it. I had like that period off where I was writing exams. I just took off from both of them and would just, you know, if I wanted to go, do some activity as a break. I'd go play tennis or I'd go down to the cricket nets or whatever. I wouldn't, I wasn't overly thinking about playing, training, anything. And um, in that time, I just think I started leaning towards the team aspect of, of playing cricket. So I, I decided to stay in Australia, um, go to university here and um, yeah, pursue, pursue cricket. Um, and, you know, I still carried on playing tennis properly in, in tournaments for another two years out of school until I was 20. Um, and then from there, I guess from when I played my first professional career game, the tennis racket went on the hook. Yeah. Is kind of the individual nature of tennis, because all the pressure kind of falls on you in your game and even the mental side of, of tennis, the whole weight of it, did that kind of make the choice easier to kind of go to a team sport where I guess it's not so much on the individual, but more of a team collective to work together to get a result? Yeah, I think that that that's where it was. You know, I'm drawn to. I think naturally the way I think about the game and and how I enjoy interacting with others, working out uh, in my head the whole team aspect of it. You know, group of people coming together. Um, 
for a common cause and um you know that that's that was a big thing i was drawn to in in uni and in and in work as well before um before i you know had to specialized in cricket it was working with people um in a, in a team environment and um you know I, I love leading people as well um from a captaincy point of view and um i think that that was the whole thing that really made the decision um for me is i enjoyed captaining teams as as a youngster as well and um yeah being in that whole team environment and from the tennis side it was it was awesome to work it out yourself but it, it gets pretty lonely I, on on the court um mm. and you start you start having some interesting conversations in your head um uh, throughout a match as well which I, I think have helped my cricket certainly i think tennis has been a massive help on my cricket from a a mental side of uh, mental fortitude sort of side um but yeah i think i love the i love the team aspect of, of cricket and that was my decision making um for me when i was 18. that's an interesting point you bring up that that tennis the mental fortitude that's actually a good word i haven't really uh called it that before but um of tennis and then because you do almost have the similar kind of individual like when you're batting it's like you just you and then when you're bowling it's you against the batter so there is kind of similarities between the two and that they do kind of help each other it's interesting have you um i'm not sure if you might have known or known you about this but there's a on netflix there's um like a little short kind of documentary on andy roddick um in the tenant like when he was growing up in tennis and it was another i can't remember the other guy's name but they were, Marty Fish. yes that was him yeah, that's him. Yeah. Did you watch that? It's on Marty Fish. Yeah, yeah it's it's brilliant. Yeah, so whoever um, hasn't hasn't um whoever's listening hasn't watched it, go watch it because it talks about how much pressure they were on as tennis players from such a young age and kind of the, the development as they went through the rankings and how much pressure I guess they they were under from a like a, a a national point of view and how it kind of breaks you and that if you let it get to you, it kind of breaks you, doesn't it? Wild. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then that was, you know, I think my my brother and my parents, or or my younger brother, he went and pursued tennis. So there was there was always that um, massive love for the game. But yeah, watching watching him play, and you sort of sit in the stands feeling helpless and wanting mm. to be there um, for him. And and that's why that's why I love playing doubles as well at, at at all tournaments. And you've at least you've got another person there to try and work things through, argue with. <laughs> um, succeed with, uh, you know, we saw Kyrgios and, and Kokonakis at the recent Aussie Open having a lot of fun together. And um, it's just a, yeah, it's a, it's a really tough environment. Um, you know, the training environment is brutal as well. Um, and uh, it's it's tough to crack into from a, a financial standpoint as well. Oh, yeah. like I watched my brother really struggle um, for a couple of years, got to sort of 700 and had his career cut short by COVID. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a bloody tough sport. I even, yeah, the thing you said physically as well in the tournament setting, you have to pack up every, every second day you have to play as well. So that would be, especially if you have a grueling mat or I guess matches can go up to three to five, three to five hours. So yeah. and backing those up after a day, you know, you got to make sure you're hydrated and sleep and yeah, sleep cycle goes and yep, once that kind of goes up shit creek, it's all, uh. Your body starts to go, and then mentally, it's no good as well. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you went to University of Australia. What did you study? 
Uh, I studied Bachelor of Business, uh, yep. majored in accounting um, and finance initially. And then I went to a couple of lectures and I was like, oh, I'm really struggling <laughs> with this um, double sort of majors. And then um, I, I went and saw a, a, like a consultant or um, advisor, university advisor, and just said, look, these are my interests. Um, I, cricket's obviously a big thing in my life. I love working with people and teams. She said, right, let's change you. One of let's keep one of them uh, and change the other, and so I changed to um, management consulting and human resource management, two sub majors instead of finance. Um, so that was far more enjoyable. Um, I did two years full time, but obviously for changing, I think it would have if I carried on with full time, I would have been done in three and a half, four years. Yeah. Um, but I had to go to part time uni and and defer a couple of semesters for cricket, so. I got my three-year degree done in six and a bit years. Um, did an internship at Deloitte in, in management consulting. So that was, again, something that I really loved. And my role was basically um, I was in human capital consulting. So I'd go out to businesses and we were consulting them on their people and um, trying to work, basically trying to smooth out their processes to make it uh, more effective and efficient. And um, it was, yeah, it was a really interesting couple of months. Um, that I really enjoyed, but uh, it probably motivated me more to to train harder um, and you know push harder at my cricket as well because I wasn't quite ready for the nine to five grind, throwing on a suit every morning, and um, I, I still wanted to be you know outdoors training and um, you know pushing pushing hard to to chase my dreams on the cricket field. So during that time, where were you in your cricket? I was. Nowhere. Um, I was just yeah. playing club cricket, um, training what I thought would, you know, get me, get me there. And um, it wasn't until so I was about twenty uh, that year that I um, did my internship at Deloitte. Um, and then that winter, I got a last minute opportunity to go over and play club cricket in the UK, just organised through my yeah. club. Um, last game of the season here, we uh, played in a one day final. Um, and we won it and I did really well, got 50 not out uh, in little time and, and took five wickets. So got man of the match. Um, didn't really think much about it. Um, flew over to England, started playing club cricket and um, towards the back end of my time there, got a call, two phone calls, one from the New South Wales selector saying, can you come back early? Um, we've got a training camp in Brisbane that we'd love you to be at um, for preseason. Um because Nathan Lyon, Steve O'Keefe uh, on uh, Australian duties and we've got a gap basically in spinners. I was like, absolutely, I'll fly out as soon as I can. Um, and then um, the next phone call, uh, I can't even remember the timeline of it, whether it was the same day, a couple of days, was um, from the Thunder general manager saying that I've secured a lot, their last spot um, oh, wow. on their contracting list. Uh for um the the big bash and i was like nah there's no way this is a prank call um so i stayed on it for a bit longer and um yeah it was it was true so i flew back um went up to to play uh to train and play with new south wales um they threw me in the deep end and played me in a trial game against western australia and i took three wickets um came back to sydney and and found myself going back up to brisbane um picked in their one day team to to make my debut um, in professional cricket and um, it was just this 
whirlwind of events. Um, all of a sudden I was training in a professional environment and I was like, well, okay, what I was doing by myself or thought I was doing at club cricket, there's a big gap and yeah. I need to change what I'm doing. Um, after playing, I was, I, I did, I, I did quite well. I was very happy with how I, I performed, um, you know, initially in, in those, in those games for, for New South Wales. And, um, but I was like, right, I think things need to change. If I want, I want more of this. I've got the taste of it, but I want more. I want to succeed. I want to perform to the team. I want to be the one of the best players in here. That Those competitive juices started coming out again. Um, and that's where I guess my um, desire to, to continue to get better each and every day started building and, um, yeah, completely restructured my training program that wasn't that's not been the first time i've done it it's changed a hell of a lot since and um yeah so that was that was really the first um my first taste of professional cricket and then that led into to the big bash that season or later that season over the christmas period as well so if, how long was that period so when you went over to the uk how long was it you were there for six months i guess no, maybe three maybe three months for... <clears throat> I would have been there for maybe three, three, three and a bit months. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, I think I, I left maybe three or four weeks before I should have. So I felt like it was, it was August when I got home um, and then we went up to, to Brisbane for that preseason camp. Mm. Um, and then it would have been around September, October time by the time I made my debut for New South Wales. So how long, so that preseason camp, is it, an intensive kind of block period, so maybe two to three weeks, and it's every day, two days. What are we kind I of think talking? it was. Oh, I've been on a few since. Uh, I reckon it's it's sort of ten days, and you get uh, one or two days off in that period, and it's just um, training, practice games, um, because of everyone usually goes north for for cricket in in that time yep. because of weather and facilities. Mm-hmm. So it was. Um, you sort of get one or two days off in, in a 10 day period probably. And, um, yeah, it's, you do a lot of cricket training, a bit of running, um, and, and gym sort of every second day or, or depending on when practice games are, it's sort of based around, based around that. So it's, it's great fun that since then it's, it's moved to Maroochydore a couple of times. So you're staying on the beach, you wake up, go for a swim, go train, um, all day or play a game, come back, have a swim, crash out. Um, on a day off, you can you go find a go find a nice golf course somewhere, or just chill on the beach, um, depending on what you want to do. So, preseason camps are are great fun yeah. um, for a week or ten days or two weeks, depending on on the climate and and what the plan is. Since that was your first one, I can imagine that you were kind of uh, <clears throat> seeing where you were ranked. I guess in terms of how good you were, but also training standards, and you were kind of seeing who the the, who the kind of the best guys were and what they were doing and comparing yourself to that was there what kind of point in that camp did you were you did you catch yourself realizing that and is that when when you realize that you got to start taking the next step I think I think it was I mean you you sort of I didn't they just gave me like a, a blank gym gym program for that period and um it was when I got back to Sydney and we started doing all the testing um, mm-hmm. post like pre-se or I was catching up on the testing. They'd already done it because they, uh, they would have started doing their pre-season while I was in the UK. Um, yep. 
eating pizzas and drinking beer and um, not thinking about being a professional cricketer um, in that period. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was when I started getting tested and run, running is something I always did and, and I still enjoy running. Um, I, ha- I knew I had to get fitter um, and to want to wanna chase down times and get under certain times. We had to, I think we had to do a 2K time trial in under seven minutes, 30, uh, my first one. I started out real fast and then the, the wind just got kicked out of me and I missed that, I missed that number. Um, and I was like, right, okay, this needs to change. And, and since then I'm around the seven minute mark. So I don't want to, I don't want to get, um, anywhere near seven thirty. Um, and yeah, it was, it was more in the gym, um, seeing where my body faults were with the physio from a flexibility standpoint, from a weakness standpoint. Um, and knowing that that was going to make me susceptible to, to injury as well. So that was probably the biggest um, difference I started making um, and continue to make being a little bit OCD about not wanting to get injured or doing everything I can with my body to ensure that I can stay on the field. Um, and, you know, touch wood, um, I've never had a, a major injury. Yes, I'm a spin bowler, but, um, you know, we still go through um, different things and I've never had a major injury that's forced me out of the game for, um, periods of time. So I think that was, that was the moment coming back to Sydney, doing the testing, um, and seeing where I was at the back of the pack with the guys sort of in fat camp, as they called it. Um, and I, you know, I quickly wanted to, to progress out of there and chase down the, the top runners, the top guys in the gym and, um, not be sort of left straggling behind and, um, yeah, kicking the can a bit. You were saying the your performances in that one day, the one day matches you had, you thought you did well. Was that seen the same as, um, I guess the the coaches and the selectors? I guess is that who reviews the your performance? Yeah, it was funny. I never and in cricket, you never really get a review. Um, mm. That's probably something we we're lacking, or or because I was on the outer, it was never like a performance review. It was like it was a bit more. Um, old school I mean that was 2014 so it was still a little bit old school and like yeah thanks mate well played we'll mm. see you around um keep keep going sort of thing so it wasn't like oh you did well um we're keen to have you around this is what you need to improve on or this is what you need to do um but the, you know I, I got the support in the coming years um to then go up to sort of spin camps in Brisbane um spend time working on my game up there for a you know full focus on spin bowling you're still batting up there as well but the, the you go up with all the other spinners around the country and and you know sort of see where you're at in the pecking order but also um continue to to learn your craft and um make it more specialized and pick up a few things to to make it as well interesting so those spin camps is that spinners from across the country so guys from sa were there as well yeah yeah they're brilliant i love them so uh, that, i think the last one I went on was uh, probably 2019 um, and there were guys, it was mainly sort of the younger younger guys, but everyone that's sort of around and available um, that goes up, that gets sent up by their state um, organisation to go up. So we had everyone from around the country, which was brilliant. You're just there training for a three or four week block or, or you could go up for one week. So I was there for three of the four weeks went up for a week, flew back and then went, went back up for the last two weeks. 
I guess there's something there when you're surrounded by like-minded guys as well. You can bounce. I don't. Were you in constant communication? Like you're bouncing ideas off of each other. Is that the case? Yeah, and that's that's the that's the beauty of it to sort of see everyone naturally within our game and within everything. Everyone um, does things differently, so it was good to pick up um, and see how other guys approach it, where there's similarities in how we feel under pressure, how we you know react to to certain situations um, when in game like scenarios as well, and um, then also how guys sort of see it. Um, with oh sorry my phone is ringing and i'll decline it that's all right that took us off screen um i um yeah how how guys sort of s- approach different situations and um there's a couple of off spinners up there as well which is obviously my craft but um there's left arm orthodox bowlers there's leg spinners um so everyone's very very different but um it's it's kind of cool seeing it all come together and um you know you train for hours bowl a lot of balls a day um, your fingers get sore and cut up, but um, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool and and builds. When I've gone up, it's built a really good base for my season and my year ahead to to have that um, long block under my belt of of bowling and technical work. Yeah, I can imagine that's probably the biggest component. One of the biggest components of that is the technical component because you you get that coaching and I guess there's video and all that sort of stuff you get to look at as well. Um, how was the your first season in the Big Bash? So, obviously, you came off. Did you play any games, or were you just there as as a I don't know, fill the role? I thought I space. thought it was exactly that. The, I was the last spot, so um, didn't expect to play. Um, the Thunder um, didn't do well that year, um, and it got to um, the last game, and uh, we were training at the SCG due to play the Sixers. Um, how it usually works with the big bash day before every game, you you train at the venue, whether you're, um, you know, playing the MCG or training the MCG. So you're interstate. We were at home training at the SCG the day before and um, I was bowling and the coach pulled me aside over to where Mike Hussey was unpadding after his net. And he said, um, Greeny, you're, uh, you're in tomorrow night. Um, we're going to play you over Nathan Horrocks. I went, what? Oh, what? What? Nathan Horace is like good. You're picking me up. <laughs> Nathan Horace, why? Like, you know, I'd watch Horace bowl for Australia in, in all formats and, um, you know, win a World Cup. And uh, I'd watched him bowl well all, all tournament as well. I thought this doesn't seem right. Um, but yeah, I, um, so I think they just wanted to sort of see, see where I was at, um, test me. And another one of the young guys who hadn't played as well got thrown in and, um, I bowled well that night. I was four overs, none for fourteen, um, and found myself with a with another contract for for the next year. So I played one game. We we lost a seemingly unlosable game, um, but you know, loved my time. I got it was I was just in awe of the moment, um, debuting at the SCG in front of twenty plus thousand, uh, all my friends and family there. Um, yes. Yeah, it was a, a really, really cool experience and playing alongside my cricketing hero as well, which was um, in Jacques Callas. So that was yeah. um, something super surreal. I was about to ask that. Was that, yeah, if that was the season that Jacques Callas played, but there were some, I guess, in the early years of the Big Bash, there were big names in 
in those sides. Like he had like Chris Gale was there. He had a lot of guys from the West Indies, like Pollard. So what's that? What was that like? You, I know probably you only played one game, but being around big names like that, did that kind of the aura and how they trained it rub off on you? Did it rub off on the other players in the team? Yeah, the first, I think, look, firstly, definitely those guys are massive um, for, for the tournament and, and, you know, rubbing shoulders with them and um, just being in awe of their achievements, their experience and, and watching them go about their business um, in the nets is is huge, um, huge and has been massive um, help in, in helping me grow my game. Um, but yeah, that, that first year where I only played one game and Jacques Callis was our overseas, it was really, really daunting. You know, I sat as, on the couch as a kid, um, with my dad when I first started picking up a cricket bat and he was like, if you're going to play this game, you need to watch this guy. Um, and it was Jacques Callis. So I, I started idolizing him wow. as a youngster and, you know, fast forward to, um, when I was 20 and. I'm playing alongside him um, or 2021, 20, I think I was uh, 21 years old. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in a change room next to him, going to training, um, going to social events. Like he sends, he sends me a message or we're sending messages in the group. And I'm like, this is not, yeah. this is not real. So I, I was too scared to, to talk to him that whole year. Um, I was yeah, in just stuck in awe of him. And um, it was, it was huge. So luckily um, I signed a contract the next year. Luckily, the Thunder brought Jacques Callis back the next year. And um, that next season, I ended up playing every game and we went on to win the tournament. So I won the Big Bash alongside my idol. Wow. Uh, fortunately, the coach kind of got win, came back. That He was also um, back that season as well, the coach, and he got win that I was a bit in awe of him and um, he helped break the ice a little wow. bit. And, you know, we formed a relationship. I got the courage to talk to him a bit more. Um, and yeah, had a lot of fun with him on and off the field, and um, it, it's yeah pretty special to to think that, and it's hard to go past a better moment in my career to to for that season to win a tournament alongside my cricketing hero, and you throw in Shane Watson and and Mike Hussey, and just to to add a little taster on the side, um, and it's pretty pretty cool. Wow, that's awesome. So obviously that first season wasn't so well, and then the, that. Second season, you ended up taking out the tournament. What was what do you think were the key differences and in, in that success of that second season compared to the first one? Hmm. We, I'm trying to. Yeah, I'd love to say it was because I played every game, but <laughs> <laughs> no, we had some we had some good additions. We got um, Shane Watson and Farwood Ahmed. They came in um, into the team. So leg spinner, and obviously Shane Watson speaks for himself as mm. with the his all round capabilities. Um, I think we had perfect mix of experience and, and youth, um, you know, the likes of Hussey, Watson, Callis, Kawaja, um, Clint Mackay, uh, Farwood Ahmed, Chris Hartley, um, Aidan Blizzard. And then, you know, we had some wonder kid from the West Indies called Andre Russell come out and run completely hot with both bat and ball. He was bowling fast. Um, smacking balls out of the park. Um, you know, I was just playing, I was playing fearless cricket myself as well, not really knowing much about anyone, not not having anyone know much about me as well. So um, in that first sort of season or two or your breakout year, you always can can get away with it while you're running hot before teams sort of figure out what you're doing. And um, 
yeah, I, I loved it. Playing at the top grounds in Australia in front of big crowds in the Big Bash. Um, you're on TV on nights and your friends are watching and sending you messages and um, it's it's really, really cool and you start feeling upbeat and, um, again, that hunger starts building inside you to just want more and more and uh, you want to get better and better and, and continue to perform Um for the team but also for yourself as well because you you get that or oh, certainly for me you get that thirst of thirst for success um you get little tastes of it when you do well and and you want to start getting man of the match performances and um you know building your career and and start going higher and higher up the ladder and you probably at that stage you were seeing your hard work paying off yeah 100% um that was that was the cool thing. It just carried on building and um, yeah, it was, you don't sort of think about it at the time, but reflecting upon it now, it, it's, as I said, it's, it, you sort of feel really cool and, and humbled by it all because there, there has been a lot of sacrifice along the way. And it, you know, it goes back to the start of the conversation in my parents making the sacrifice to, to come over to Australia. If they didn't do that, I wouldn't be in that situation or would I have been in that situation? Would I have been playing tennis instead um, you know, all the little pieces that, that fall into place, sacrifices made by them and, and me as well. So um, it's a great reward for a lot of things. And, um, yeah, as I said, you just, for, for me, I just got that hunger and desire for more and, and more. I wanted to continue to rep- repay myself and others for the support they've thrown behind me. And I guess that's one of my key and big motivators um, as well still to this day is is continuing to to want to repay the faith and, um, support that I've got from me, my partner, my family, from fans and, and clubs as well. It's it's a big thing that, that motivates me as well. Was there a key moment in that um, championship year where I guess maybe it was halfway through the season and you were kind of like you were doing well, but there wasn't really Chatham out up amongst playing finals and and going on to win it. Was there a point where you were kind of won a game you're like, oh, we're in for a good chance to go all the way this year? That year, funnily enough, no. In the recent years, there has been. But last, that year, for me, whether it's because I was young and not involved in the sort of senior group or whatever, but for, for, for that year, I I remember we finished our last game against uh, – it was, it was a home game. Could have been against – I can't remember who it was. But we played in Sydney and we were sitting fourth, but there was still one game to go. And it was uh, the Renegades against the Strikers. And we needed the Strikers to win for us to stay in. Otherwise, the Renegades would have taken our spot on fourth. So the Strikers, I think, finished first that year. And we were sitting fourth. And um, we're just having our end-of-season dinner and drinks at Bondi Icebergs. The the game was on. And I I remember we watched it. And um, the Strikers got a, a decent score. But... The Renegades had Chris Gale playing for them, and um, I remember we remember sitting there. We were sort of, and we just watched him go off. I think he hit one over for twenty eight. We sort of started saying our goodbyes. Had people started having a few extra beers because they're like, oh, "Okay, lads, it's you know the the dream's over." Unfortunately, we missed out, um, and um, he started going nuts. And then the next bowler came on. Gale smacked him. The next bowler came on. Gale smacked him, and then. Um, and to Travis Head, uh, I think he, Travis Head must have bowled the fifth or sixth over. 
he wasn't really known for his bowling that season much and and still probably isn't he's bowling he bowls well but he doesn't bowl much in in matches and um got gale out first ball bravo came in got bravo out um and we were like oh okay we're on here all of a sudden all the beers went down we trained the next we trained the next day um because the renegades lost and the strikers got through so we tra- found ourselves training the next day and and then after that we're on a flight to to adelaide oval to to play um the strikers in the semi um and it became the usman kawaja show he, wow. he got 100 that day we smashed the strikers and um then we flew on to to melbourne so i just think it was we timed our run a little, a little bit of luck fell into place we won our last couple of games mm-hmm. in the round season and um you know, it's a big talk in, in all sport, but particularly in, in cricket about having momentum. Um, and, and that was in our favour. We were playing good cricket. We were winning games of cricket towards the back end. Um, we won a fine, that semi-final and we came into the final against the Melbourne Stars in a really good place. Oh, 100%. That momentum thing is one that I've experienced myself from a coaching perspective in a team that I work for. In uh, South Australia, we had the same kind of situation. We started the year um, really well. Um, middle of the year, we kind of dropped off a little bit. And then towards the back end, we won the last couple of games at the back end, ended up qualifying in the so it was top five. We finished fifth. And then from the fifth, we had to win every game to make the grand final, which we did, and then ended up winning the grand final. So I yeah, attest to huge. whether it's whether it's positive or negative momentum is one thing that will carry carry you through. So. Yeah, I guess yeah. from your perspective, it's, it's the same. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I think it's just you, you get the confidence. You you can sort of uh, you don't. It's not really spoken about. It, it, I guess it's just that um, it's it's like a feeling or a group feeling, which is pretty powerful. That you can just rock up, and it's the expectation that you you're gonna win, um, rather than thinking, "Oh God, I hope we win." Um, mm. So I. I that's that's what I believe momentum does for for collective groups is or when you have that positive output, um, you, you know we don't we don't have any control over results in, in any way. But if you rock up with that positive output and and mindset and belief, then you're giving yourself every chance rather than hitting and hoping. Mm, that's definitely true. So so as well, you've um, I guess I can name a country outside of Australia, and you've probably played in in that country. There's a long list. So I was uh, reading it before. Tell us about, I don't know, your um, other, in, like uh, playing in other teams across across the country. So T20 in, in India and I, I guess as well, where else have you played? Yeah, you know, fast forward probably two years uh, after we won the, the Big Bash, I got... <sighs> And you know, our coach of the Thunder was coaching a team in Pakistan in the in the PSL, um, which was based in in the UAE then because there was still no cricket in Pakistan at that period. And um, he rang me and he said, "I want you to come out and be an overseas player in my team in Pakistan." And I was like, "What? There's <laughs> cricket overseas in these tournaments that I can? You mean I can continue doing this big bash thing everywhere else?" <laughs> He's like, "Yeah," um, and. Uh, Again, another pinch myself moment. I, I, you know, I rocked up um, knowing that Shane Watson was in the tournament. He said, "Come down for breakfast." Um, went down for breakfast, and 
um, you know, he, he was sitting there and him and Kevin Peterson called me over oh, wow. to, to sit at their table. And I'd obviously played against Kevin, met, so met him or just said hello again. And then all of a sudden our table got quite full and I found myself sitting around and looking. I was like, well, that's Kumar Sangakara. That's Mahala J. Wardner. That's Kevin Peterson. That's Shane Watson. And then there's me. I'm like, that's not right. Then Brendan McCullum came and sat down. He was the captain of of our team um, in the Pakistan league. And I was like, nah. I went back up to my room after breakfast, got straight on the phone to mum and dad. I was like, I got dro- I got dropped off in the wrong place. My flights dropped me here. I just had breakfast with these guys that I've idolized, watched playing the game so well. And and you know, now I'm they're they're talking about things with me and like I'm one of their peers. I was like, nah, this is wrong. <laughs> This, this can't be right. So it was, it was a incredible first taste of it. Um, it took me, you know, overseas, and then from there again, that that hunger and desire to get better and want more, and and you know, make it back to that league, make it make it to other leagues around the world as well, and um, you know, come back to the Big Bash, perform, and all of a sudden these opportunities again overseas started popping up. Went back to Pakistan. Um, or the league for a different different team, and and we actually went to Pakistan um, for the first time, uh, you know, in in a crazy experience. Um, I then went on to play cricket in Canada, um, wow. cricket in the Caribbean. Obviously, I've been to England um, for club cricket. I, I you know I got county cricket deals there. Yeah. Um, I've been to to Norway for a weekend. Um, there was a cricket tournament in Norway while I was in the oh, UK the for weekend. a weekend. <laughs> so uh, went to went to Oslo for a, a, sm- a short tournament. Um, the UAE, uh, Caribbean. I said, um, yeah. unfortunately, well, fortunately, my dream came through true to to play in the IPL, um, but unfortunately, because of COVID, that wasn't in the the madness and passion of India was in the, in the UAE with oh. no crowds. So that's one thing that again, I've got the burning desire to, to push hard and, and try and experience that craziness and, and madness that we see sort of from afar. Um, but it's, you know, talking to the players about it, it's, it's just so hard to describe. Um, and for me, it's, I love the passion for the game. Um, and I saw it firsthand when we went to Pakistan for the first time um, and cricket started coming back and how grateful they were and how loud it was. Mm. Um, and to experience that in India as well would be really, really cool. So um, yeah, it's been some incredible opportunities to go and play the game I love um, around the world and um, see how, you know, going back to our spin bowling conversation is it's the same game played differently by um a lot of different cultures and countries. So to, to pick little things up along the way and try and add them into my game or translate them to, to my game um, at different stages and, and continue to try and fast track my development um, ahead of time as well has been um, a huge, huge help. Take us back to the you playing in the over in Canada. It's obviously not known for its cricket. So what was that kind of experience like? Did you go, were you, in there as like the big fish, I guess, so to speak, like were you the Jacques Callas of coming over to play in the big bash over in definitely not that the big fish was, uh, in my team, it was Yuvraj Singh. Um, oh, wow. so he was, he was our captain. Um, Brendan McCullum was in, in the team again. Um, and, uh, Moses on oh, yeah. 
Um, so there was some big names in our team, a lot of West Indians in the other team, Russell, Gail, Bravo, Pollard was in our team as well. So I certainly was the small fish and, and I'm very happy to remain the small fish um, in a very big pond. Um, so, but yeah, Canada, I'd never, Canada for me was always a place that I'd always wanted to go to, but I felt like it was the place I would never get to. Mm. Um, so it was, it, it was really, really cool being in Toronto or just outside of Toronto. Um, you get in an Uber into the city in 40 minutes and um, go and experience the city and, and Canada as much as you could. And then, you know, you go out in the afternoon and play a game of cricket um, back near the hotel and go out for dinner back in town that night. So it was um, a really cool experience. It, it, the wicket or the ground was tiny. Um, it was it was about just being a very defensive bowler and um, there were some really passionate fans, obviously because we had Uvaraj, it brought in a lot of the Indian expats in, in, in Canada as well and um, their whole cricketing sort of system and culture is based around um, their uh, multicultural background um, that they have. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. um, people from the West Indies, a lot from India, Pakistan, um, and and various other countries residing in Canada, and and that makes up their their national side and and also their local cricketers. So there's um yeah really really good good cricketers coming through and um, passionate fans there as well. You made an interesting point just before how you were saying the grounds were so much smaller. That makes you more of a defensive defensive bowler. So kind of break that down a little bit. Is it when you go into bowl, is there a plan that you need? Obviously, you want to attack and get wickets, but also be defensive and not leak runs. So what's the kind of process when you go over and you see you know, a, a ground and it's bigger? Do you go, okay, I'm going to be more attacking, go for wickets? How does that kind of look? Um, it's sort of, you know, all the, I think you got to weigh up all the conditions for me. Um, I look at, you know, is, is the pitch conducive to, to spin as well? Uh, I'm not a massive turner of the ball and, and in, in Australia, the ball doesn't spin much anyway. It's all about bounce. And, you know, for me being six foot four bounce comes into play and using my height. Um, so yeah, I, I weigh up all conditions, um, boundary size, game situation, wicket, um, and then also the batter you're bowling to. So is it is it the right matchup for me to be aggressive and try and bowl a little bit slower or bowl a bit more aggressive or try and spin the ball? Or actually, should I just try and get this guy off strike um, and, and, and bowl a ball that is a better chance of going for one run? Um, and if they miss time and it goes for no runs and then, you know, you, you sort of, then the next ball, you it's like a game of chess. You try and get them off strike again um, rather than trying to take wickets out and out wickets and being a bit more aggressive but opening yourself up to to more hurt um or do you go and it's probably a role that i typically play myself is try and be more defensive and not go for those out and out wickets but by building pressure and starving them of of boundaries i create wicket taking opportunities either at my end or for someone else as well is that a conversation that happens between you the captain and and the bowling coach before like you look at the players in the team and you kind of look at which ones, like you say, there's a lot of different aspects like game, scenario of the game, where you are and in the over. So I guess there's a more of a conversation between you and the captain that you have. Yeah, sometimes those conversations in the moment based on game situation that the certainly captains I've played, good captains I've played under, they're, they're sort of thinking, look, what they come with questions to you is what do you want to do right now? Um, and often 
if I'm clear, I'll, I'll say, and, and they agree. And sometimes they go, you know what, actually we want to bring an extra fielder in, or let's try and keep this guy on strike a bit longer. And that gives you more clarity on what they're thinking in the moment. And then, you know, pre-game they have, we have planning and um, go through player stats and strengths and weaknesses to um, different balls, different bowlers, um, different lengths and lines to bowl as well. So you do all your homework before and then in the moment it's about applying, I guess, your expertise and um, skills against against theirs and trying to come out on top and um, out, out thinking and outsmarting them as well. Was there a moment when, I guess, you, you've travelled everywhere, but not everywhere, but you've travelled to a, many countries and you've played lots of cricket around around the world. Was there a moment where you kind of were standing, I guess, out in the field where you were bowling and you're like, gosh, I'm bowling bowling here why, why, like how did I get here um there's been a few I think MC MCG yeah. it typically happens to me playing there um to me MCG when I was a kid playing tennis and cricket I dreamt of playing cricket at the MCG and Lords and then tennis at Wimbledon so you know MCG and Lords were like the pinnacle um of cricket for me whether it be playing for Australia or, or playing T20 cricket there it was or one day cricket there or whatever. It was just, I want, I want to play cricket at these places. So, um, you know, going, without going back to that final too, too often, it's um, we won the final at the MCG in front of 50 odd thousand people, which is not a packed out stadium by any means, but it's, it's lot. loud and, and busy enough. And, um, you know, standing at the top of your mark about to bowl to Kevin Peterson, that, that, sense of awe doesn't really hit you there but when you're standing on the boundary and you've got a few seconds to switch off and um enjoy the moment that was like well this is pretty cool and then um more recently it was last year i got signed um, by middlesex to go and play county cricket for them and of course middlesex's home ground is lords so the first game i played that season was against surrey at lords um all my mum's family came out and um, training the day before or a couple of days earlier in the lead up, we were training every day at Lords. I was, they put me up in a, in a house nearby and I was driving into Lords. I said, welcome, Mr. Green. Um, you go and park there. And, um, you know, I was walking around the ground, people saying hello to you cause you've got your Middlesex gear on and that's just your home base for the couple of weeks. And I was like, this is bloody cool. Um, and, you know, I could walk into, I was two Ks away from the ground and London traffic often didn't um, promote driving in. So I was walking into training at Lords with my backpack on. Um, <laughs> and it was just, oh, it, it, that was the moment. I think probably the biggest moment there in the lead up. And then in the game, just standing in the field, looking around where I was, staring at the history of the game at mm. the pavilion as well in front of me, I was, there were a couple of moments where I had to catch myself, go, all right, switch back on, <laughs> concentrate now. The ball could come to you. Um, you need to be ready. Yeah. Um, so that's probably because I was more experienced um, and aware of it and wanted to be aware of it because it's about being in the moment as well. I think that was the biggest time ever that I've been like, wow, yeah. this is this is cool. And standing there going, you sort of have that outer body, body experience. Did the ground feel different? Like could you tell like this is this history here? <laughs> the, the first thing I did have to do um, on one of the training days was walk across the outfield in bare feet because it's just yeah. so lush. Yeah. Um, so it was it was just a, such a pristine outfield. 
there wasn't a blade of grass out of place. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, you're sitting in the change rooms, you see all the honor boards that um, are up from test matches um, there for home and home and away. Um, and obviously the, knowing the history of the ground as well. And um, it's a very prestigious county. Um, so you sort of get inducted into it. Um, so it was, it, was, it was really, really special and really cool to be a part of. So you've played now for a number of years. How has kind of your preparation from a, I guess, a nutritional perspective, how has that changed and what does it look like now these days? Yeah, it's been a, nutrition's a, an interesting journey for me, uh, if you like. You know, it started out um, with a big shock to the system, as we spoke about when I, I first debuted and I came from pretty... <laughs> Uh, uh, as everyone does when they go to Europe for a sort of holiday, but I was there for cricket and and holiday. I travelled a bit as well. You sort of get that little bit of holiday injection in your belly, um, so you're not putting great things into it. So um, actually spending time with a nutritionist, getting skin folds done for the first time, you're like, ooh, okay. Um, so I started with a quite strict thing and, and found that um, you know, it didn't really last or work for me. Um, and as I've you know, found out more about what works for me in terms of a, a plan. It's just about eating. For, for me, I have to eat more um, because I'm on the go constantly. I have to force myself. I don't get hungry. Uh, I don't like training like on a full belly. So if I'm waking up early, I'm not hungry straight away. So that's where I sort of have to force myself to eat sometimes before training and getting more awareness about about the difference in, in my training and recovery when I do and don't eat as well. Um, you know, I invested a year and a half ago or yeah, nearly two years ago. Now I got, I got my whoop um, oh, nice. and, and knowing more about my sleep. Oh, there you go. I, I know more about my sleep um, recovery and, and everything. So it's been a, a big change. And now I, I simply just go, well, I eat what I want really. And it's just about moderations and, and same with, alcohol is like you think I just think about training all my week or what I've got on tomorrow and um, I find being a little bit more relaxed about it I'm in a better place I'm in arguably the best shape I've been in the last two years following this and um, yeah I think it's it's a lot easier to, for me to follow and, and keep to when um, I'm, I'm not really following a structured program if you like yes. but I've got a lot more awareness about what I'm doing tomorrow or what I'm doing today and what I need to sort of take in um, or don't take in, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely comes with a experience as well. So I guess many years, I guess you'd have learned under, I don't know, different nutritionists with, with coaches and or in teams that you've played with that you would have picked up a few things. And now using the whoop, you can be a bit more, I guess, uh, informed of what you need to do during the day. And I guess you use the activity function for your training. So you see how hard you work and against the recovery score that you get as well. So you can kind of tell if you need to take it, invest a bit more time into your recovery or, or, you know, maybe if you use a journaling function, you might realize that, you know, um, doing, you know, what's one of the functions like having alcohol that day always makes my recovery the next day, go, go to shit. And make, yeah. you know, I'll have the ice bath function. I do my saunas for my recovery as well. So what do you kind of um, use for recovery? What kind of recovery processes do you go through? Yeah, so I, I think like for me in in my 
training weeks, I, I sort of double up. I've got Apple Watch and Whoop. Um, so and that's the big thing for my <laughs> my um my eating. And obviously, because this one doesn't do time for running as well, or my running activities, yeah. or um, so I, I sort of match them both up and and sort of see how hard I'm working in a day. Um, and it sort of gives you that update on, um, you know, calories or energy burnt and knowing, okay, well, I've, I've done a massive session this morning. Um, I need to eat. I need to force myself to eat because I know I've got, um, you know, training later or, or something. And then I need to, you know, go and spend time in the ocean, full body in, in winter and, or go and seek out. I, like I've, I've just become an ambassador um, at this cryotherapy place. Um, so I need to go seek them out and do a, do a session there. Or Ooh. I, um, I try and get a massage in once or twice, um, a fortnight as well. So when I'm really sore or, or struggling, it's just about going and seeking out those measures where for me, it's hitting the reset button, um, and feeling as if I'm putting things into place that allows me to either train harder, recover faster, or, you know, um, be in a better place should there be a game coming up as well and i believe a lot of it is mental um if you like believe that you're doing a a recovery method if you like um then it's going to like sort of work in your favor with your body it, is, it obviously does help your body but for me i think there's a big placebo effect of having a good sleep oh, yeah. or getting in an ice bath or um, you know, getting a massage, you come out feeling really good. You have, whether it's endorphins or, or whatever, and, and then knowing that your body's sort of recovering in the background, um, that's, yeah, something that I find massive in, in, in my training and, and recovery regime. You're saying that you, you have to almost force yourself to eat food. Do you sometimes go down the, the protein shake route or do you, use supplements to kind of help what and what kind of supplements do you use yeah particularly when when on the go um i found that protein shakes have been um a, a big help for me um or even like little bars that were allowed you know for i only use yeah. wpi um protein um definitely the double chocolate fa flavor is my favorite um but um yeah it's just something that's been great for on the go whether it just be driving from a gym session to a, a batting or bowling session um, or, you know, squeezing something in uh, quickly knowing that I just get a hit of, of something to help fuel my body um, in between a moment where I can actually sit down and, and eat something more substantial. So that's in the last two years been something that I use a lot more in my day-to-day -day training to, to ensure that I'm getting the right intake and the right fuel into my body because I wasn't doing that in the past. And I'd often go, you know, wake up, drive an hour to get to training, train there for three or four hours and then have to drive 40 minutes somewhere else and maybe do a gym session and then drive home for um, 40 minutes to an hour. And then I would eat for the first time that day. And it's like, well, you've just done all of this on empty. You've eaten now. And then I'd find myself absolutely ravenous at dinner as well wanting to just continue eating and eating and eating and i was sleeping in the middle of the day being absolutely fatigued so it wow. just built up and i what now i find myself training with more energy um and it wasn't a fear of eating or, or from trying to lose weight or anything it was just purely 
not feeling like training on a on a full stomach, not wanting to eat in the car, um, and just being stubborn and, and unaware of what I was actually doing to myself. Um, and that's why I say it. Sometimes I have to force myself to eat because I know that um, I'm not going to be able to get something in for a while, and I need something before I train. Yeah, it's interesting because I've had um one or two. I had a had a triathlete, and then I had a ultra marathon runner on the podcast and they're really interesting to talk to about how they eat around their running because obviously they run they have to train so much and then that it's hard for them to kind of consume all the food they have to and try to have that feeling of training not on not on a full stomach so they actually train their stomachs that they can empty it faster so they actually have eat like small amounts of food and train at the same time that trains their stomach to empty emptied the stomach faster so they can, you know, run not on an empty stomach, if that makes sense. So it's yeah, interesting. Right. It's crazy the the differences in, in those guys because you, ultra marathon runners are running anywhere up to 50Ks to 128Ks to 200Ks and it's those those really big races they have to consume while they run or they have to stop and, yeah. and cook like or stop and eat a sandwich or something while they go. So it's kind of wild. Do you – and also – um, hydration is is obviously a big component of, of of cricket. Is there any guidance? Like, do you get I don't know? Do you get guidance from the nutritionist and how to hydrate, or do you just kind of get given um, a Gatorade sachet and put it in your water and and hope for the best? <laughs> um, during during games, we sort of get hydrolytes sometimes, or, or often there's hydrolyte or shots um, because it is okay. from the heat factor and sweat factor. I you know something I was really unaware of. I I always it's going to sound bad, but training, training in tennis and, and whatever, from a toughness point of view is always like what, you know, from the, um, from the movies, waters, waters from the week, waters for the week. You don't, you got to earn your water. <laughs> um, so it was from that perspective, often during training, I wouldn't be drinking much again. You don't really want to feel like you've got a lot of water sitting in your stomach while you're playing tennis or, or whatever. But then, um, you know, in that same year I debuted for, um, New South Wales, the nutritionist came down to do like a sweat experiment and um, we did weigh in, weigh out before before and after training and I was, I'm was i a big sweater uh, without going into the juicy details too much of it um, and my weight was significantly uh, lower after training um, and, you know, basically I saw firsthand what what that is and, and how much water I was actually losing and how much hydration I need. Um, and I'm outside of training and games. I'm someone who's always drinking water. I love my, my girlfriend will attest to that. I'm, we go out to dinner and um, they sort of top up your glass. And I just say, just leave the bottle. Um, and we just, I drink through yeah. two or three big bottles at dinner and I'm drinking probably liters of the stuff every day just because I know I need it and I love it. Um, but yeah, I think hydration, um, there's been moments where I've been struggling and feeling dehydrated overseas and knowing that I've got hydrolyte sitting in my bag. I'm like, what are you doing? You need to have it on the field with you or nearby. And I've made poor mistakes um, like that because in a different professional setup, you do have to fend for yourself at times um, and use mm-hmm. your experience and, um, and bring that in on the individual side. You can't really have, someone holds your hand um and leads you you've got to you've got to do it yourself so um yeah if you make the mistake it's not the end of the world but um it starts playing on your mind a bit as well 
And also like the whole, when you start cramping and <clears throat> when you start cramping, it's almost, that's almost the last kind of indicator that you're, that you're dehydrating. You need those electrolytes. Usually when you start to feel fatigued, it's usually your um, dehydration starts well before that. It's, you know, the electrolytes have a key function in, in the brain and in, in the working muscle. If you're, if you're fatigued, and you're not going to be able to perform at your best, so you might not be able to, you know, push hard to save the boundary and do, you know, make make those last efforts to, you know, save some runs to help the team, I guess, you know, chase down the target or to save a few runs to to save the game. Yeah, exactly. I think any like for me, it's just ensuring that those mental errors don't creep in, and I think fatigue is is probably one of the biggest factors and and something that in a game, as I said, where we can't actually control results in, in sport, um, the stuff you do off the field in terms of nutrition, training, recovery are, are factors that you you can control and, and do affect performance. And um, for me, if I've got all my ducks in a row, then I know I'm giving myself every chance of being successful. And um, I'm I, that's where I become quite OCD with it all, with my training, my recovery, well, my weights program and um, ensuring that I'm doing all my mobility because I know the the potential side of it where I could either miss games or, or not perform or not be able to perform to my ability. So uh, from a control perspective, that's something that I push myself hard on um, all the time and, and something I've failed at earlier in my, in my career. And now, as I said, I'm becoming OCD about it. It's, it's something that um ticks my girlfriend off but i don't know it, it gives me um gives me my chance of of continuing to chase my dreams as as hard as i can do you like we said at the start of the podcast you're talking about uh, mental fortitude what kind of work have you done in that space to kind of up up the game a little bit yeah you know we have sports psychs involved at our um, professional bodies um, at New South Wales, which, you know, Thunder falls under New South Wales. And then um, last year I actually went out and got my own one, um, a sports psych for the first time and worked with him throughout the year. And um, it's just, I think it, the, the big thing is just bringing that awareness to the space. It's a lot of the stuff's very obvious, um, but it's just bringing bringing you into a zone where you're comfortable in the moment, you can handle, handle pressure. Um, you can understand what's sort of happening, um, in your environment and, and, and develop for me, it's developing catches where my mind starts wavering, whether it be starting to thinking about factors that are completely irrelevant or overthinking the moment or trying too hard or, or wanting it too much rather than just being completely in the zone and focused there that's probably been the biggest help and influence that has helped me because I'm someone who wants it so badly and you start trying too hard and forcing things and um through the the sessions that I've had is felt putting in these little catches to to realize I'm doing it and then help me relax in the moment and breathe through it and um get back into that level state of play if you like is that come do you like practice that like not so much in training, do you practice it through meditation? Not meditation, um, but in training, I actually do practice it. Um, and it's from, my biggest thing is my breathing um, and using my breath in training to relax my body. Um, as I said, 
OCD perfectionist trainer. So I, you know, try and be completely perfect in training. And that's my, through these sessions, I've learned to use that as my stimulant for game pressure. So me wanting to be a perfectionist right. in training is similar to the pressures of a game that puts on. So when I try and be a perfectionist in training, I use that those moments for my mind to try and relax me, breathe through it, um, you know, relax my hand when I'm bowling, relax my hands when I'm batting um, and, and relax my forearms as well and um, be able to then clear my head and just watch the ball or deliver the ball I want to bowl. And similarly, that, that comes into the game where my mind starts taking me elsewhere or thinking about what could happen or what has happened. It's like, all right, let's breathe through it and, and focus on what I want to do right now in this moment for this ball. Yeah, I bring up the meditation stuff because I've, I've done a few of those guided ones through Headspace and they all, they all talk about, um, you know, your mind's going to wander and when you feel that your mind's wandering away from your body, bring it back. <laughs> control your breathe, like get your real rhythm back in your breathing. So that's kind of similar concepts, I guess, when you feel you start to tense up or you're getting like you, you develop those catches. So when you start to realize, you just bring it back to relax the body, relax everything. So that's kind of a similar kind of same, same, but different, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been led through meditation before and I've, I've used it, if I'm honest, I've actually used it three or four times for helping me sleep. Um, and, and yeah. that's where, and, and I say, help me sleep, help me sleep in the day, uh, where I've woken up too early on a game day a couple of times. Um, and I just start burning nervous energy from just sitting there around and, you know, waiting to do nothing. So I'll use it to, to help me sleep for 30 minutes, an hour or however long I'm able to get through. And, and I think that's where, or for me, certainly a couple of times, it's been a massive aid. <laughs> Obviously, from do you have any other resources on that mental mental aspect other than the psych? Do you listen to podcasts that you're going to get ideas from, or listen to other people's stories? I, I think from from COVID, I started. Um, I, we got a puppy who's cruising around here. He's now one. He's a bit bigger. <laughs> um, and and during that time, I started going on long walks in the morning um, during lockdown, um, the first lockdown, if you like. Um, and I'd throw on a podcast of, um, you know, whether it be, it's just some sort of athlete based podcast or business based podcast and start listening to things. And I think that was my version of, of meditation. And, and sometimes, you know, I just go out with no phone or headphones and just the dog and, you know, I walk around and, and just be in my head and I've, I've bumped into people I know and just completely glazed over because I'm in a different place. Um, so I think that's my version, you know, going for a swim after I, I love the ocean and yeah. um, using those reset buttons um, in that way to, to clear my head and, um, you know, either be, be with my thoughts or, or be completely empty um, as well. And, and not really, you know, overthinking it or forcing myself in any which way, just accepting the direction my mind takes me in for, that hour, 40 minutes or, or two hours if I lose track of time and um, get a bit sunburned and come back later. I guess as well, you've, you're playing all over the, over the, over the globe. Um, you played everywhere. Do you, taking those individual moments away from the cricket, like I guess you get, get caught up in 
the, to the aspect of playing the games and you probably play, you know, uh, probably a game every five or so days and he, he's very busy with training and that sort of stuff. Do you, taking the time away, how much does that help in, in resetting the mind, the body to come back fresh when you do have to be busy? Yeah, I, I think it's it like you feel or, or for me, whenever I, I use the, the time off to, to reset or just not think about it, you know, I try and, I try and switch off completely from cricket um, whenever I can um, because either it forces me to start missing it and become more excited about when I am playing it because I, I do have it or I feel like if I start overthinking or get stuck in, in that zone for a while, it just becomes all too all-consuming and you're constantly thinking about cricket how you can improve, how you can get better. And there's no just, you know, let's push the push the noise aside and, and just be clear. And then you come back to it and realize the stuff that you were thinking about, worrying about actually wasn't that big of an, a deal. Um, and you come back in fresh, just focused on, you know, what's ahead of you that day. Um, so I think that's the biggest impact of being able to switch off or um, reset and, and have a break from it for, you know, sometimes it's just an hour or it could be a day or two or whatever. But I think for me, that's that's the biggest impact that it has because you, you can then come back and, and feel a lot, for lack of a better word, freer um, about um, what's ahead of you, as I said. And also the time time differences between, I guess, you if you have to play across different states, how do you kind of work that into the schedule do you have to make sure that you adjust time zones and you're sleeping at a time and you try to you know try to make sure you get enough enough sleep so you're ready to go in the game and then obviously you have to play games at different times you have to make sure that you kind of keep the same preparation do you work back hours that makes sense yeah the hardest one uh i've had a couple of hard ones but um the hardest one is always flying from sydney or brisbane to perth um because you, you know, you're waking up on, I try and sleep in as long as I can on game days to sort of just so again, I'm not hanging around waiting for the game that's at seven o'clock at night. Um, so you sort of used, I'm used to waking up yeah. between 10, 10 a.m. and midday. And then all of a sudden you get to Perth and um, you're crashing out at nine or 10 o'clock at night because that's midnight or whatever on the Eastern seaboard. And uh, you're up at 6 a.m. at Sparrows and you've got a game at 7 p.m. that night and you're like, wow, this, this is not on. So that's where, you know, a couple of times you try and roll over or you force yourself into meditation or myself into meditation to try and sleep a bit more or um, you then go out and come back and try and sleep in the day um, just to not be kicking around. But So that's always the biggest challenge. And then um, I guess you kind of get used to it as well. There's a couple of times where, I've flown from here or elsewhere and land and had to play a game um, either that day or the next day. You know, when I was in Canada, oh, wow. I played someone, I, I tweeted me after because I went straight from Canada to England uh, and I woke up the next day to a tweet was I just played two games of cricket in less than 24 hours in two different countries. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, so I finished playing in Canada, flew overnight, like straight straight from Canada to yeah. the UK, played a game that afternoon um, in the UK, um, and obviously with time differences and and whatever. Um, That's and that was a, a weird experience because like the ground was moving, I didn't know where I was. I felt oh, wow. completely adrift, but I went to sleep that night at like 
10.30 and I woke up the next day at 2 p.m., I was just completely zonked. Um, so, mm. yeah, it's just, just trying to do what you can um, with time zones to the best of your ability, but sometimes such as that circumstance, you just got to sort of get on with it and um, the adrenaline and love and um, you try and find things to pick your body up and, and trick, trick you through it because um, I'm not a coffee drinker either. Um, so I, there's no way of getting that buzz there. So I try and um, just use adrenaline or something to, to get me through the, the three hour or four hour period of the career game. And I guess coffee is almost works against everything that you need to make sure that you're ready for in cricket. Cause if you drink, like if you bring coffee drinker, then you have to make sure you're even more <laughs> hydrated than you already are because this coffee is a, is a di- diuretic. So you want yeah. to make sure that you're hydrated, not, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. If anyone wants to listen, Chris Green, I'm oh, sorry, wants to follow you. Chris Green underscore 93. Yep. Um, that's me. So yeah, I appreciate good all the best for um yeah, for your upcoming seasons ahead, mate. Thank you. Uh, I picked up a few good reminders for myself about nutrition and everything. <laughs> That's always happens, even the same when I when I um have these chats with other other athletes as well. It's always like, hmm, I could be doing that that better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> all right. Thanks, mate. Appreciate your time. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks everyone for listening as well.